Welcome to Sports, Screens, and Something Else. Join two friends as they give their unfiltered opinions on the world of sports, the entertainment industry, and a little bit of something else. And now, your hosts, Will Dickerson and Trevor Pace. Trevor, I think we skipped windows down driving weather, and it's really upsetting me. It was like too hot two weeks ago, and now it's too cold. Is it too cold? At nighttime? It's really windy lately. Well, that's true. But we had our windows open all day. I just, I really like windows down driving time. And I feel like we skipped it. I know. I know. We we definitely were way hot for much longer than we normally are. Oh my gosh, a stupid hot pocket or whatever. Hot Hot pocket. <laughs> Someone put it in a microwave and just threw it over Utah. And we had the molten lava center or whatever. Yeah. Freaking hot pockets. Have you ever eaten a hot pocket? I haven't, but this is uh, this is quickly turning into a uh, <laughs> Jim Gaffigan <laughs> bit. Um, I have eaten a hot pocket. I would not recommend it. <laughs> Unless they want to advertise on the show. Then I love hot pockets. Yeah. But- I- did I say I haven't had a hot... Did yeah. I say I didn't? Okay. I'm lying. You're I, a liar! I used to eat Hot Pockets like... I mean, it's been 20 plus years ago. I just... I can't remember that far back. I, I was like, I think I said <laughs> I didn't, but I most certainly have, of mm. course. And they are terrible. Yeah, they're really bad. <laughs> Good. I've never eaten one and been like... I'm glad I did that. Yeah, it's like a te- it's a teenager food, <laughs> right? It's something you do as as a 16 year old when you can digest like, literally anything. <laughs> yes. If I ate one now, I'd be sick for a week. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I haven't right. had one in a really long time, so I've just it's a repressed memory. I've pushed it out. Anyway, this show is not about hot topic. <laughs> our hot. Well, it's not our about hot, hot topic either. <laughs> you just had a, uh, you had uh, black uh, Metallica T-shirts on the mind. Oh. <laughs> Chain wallets, spike bracelets. I, I love me some hot topic. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, you look is... like the hot topic kind of guy. We're professionals. <laughs> is that what? Yeah. Hey, Will. What, what? Happy Shamu the Whale Day. Oh man, I yeah. saw Free Willy. Yeah, Free Willy was good. <laughs> Not Shamu, but yeah. Um, do you know that the first Shamu was a whale that rose to prominence in the late 1960s? That's an old whale. Yeah. It was the star of a show organized by SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment. When the original Shamu died in 1971, subsequent stars of the show were given the name as the title. What? It's not the same Shamu? No. They don't no. live for 60 Seven years? years. <laughs> They do live for a long time. But. I've been lied to. Um, SeaWorld eventually went to trademark the name Shamu and has since used it to attract people to their events. September 26 became significant because it celebrated the first surviving baby Shamu in 1985. That's why Shamu the Whale is now celebrated on September 26th every year. The holiday is celebrated in honor of that first Shamu. So, happy National Shamu the Whale Day. May we all be jumped on by have you giant been, whales. Have you been to SeaWorld? I've never been to SeaWorld. Oh, it's great. Yeah, you should go. 
I want to go. Yeah, it's fun. I want to do the Disneyland, SeaWorld, uh, Universal thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want to take a week and do it. If you if you were to go, like, today, I would almost even suggest skipping Universal and doing Legoland with your kids. Oh, really? Legoland is great for kids of, of, the, of your children's age. Much older, and they don't find it as interesting. Gotcha. So it's like one of those... If you do it now, it would be great. But anyway, yeah, it's a great little uh, circuit, and uh, SeaWorld's great. So anyway, uh, happy National Shamu the Whale Day, and let's go on to a fan email. So uh, Jeremy emailed the show. He said he loves the show, and he had an idea for a screens topic. So we will uh, do that one today. For, uh, for my screen time. It was a great one. Yeah, I, had a, good... I had a really good time with it. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. So, uh, with that, Will, let's go on to sports. Sports. <laughs> All right, Trevor. So, I uh, took a bowling class down at BYU. Okay. And it was fun. Man, they're just trying to give away degrees exactly. there, right? <laughs> it's all bowling and uh, most most of your basket weaving. Most of your classmates were on the football team, guaranteed. Yeah, my U.S. history class was just us knitting, and then they were like, "Did you know that Martha Washington used to knit?" And I was like, "No way!" And that was the whole thing. Uh, bowling definitely seems like <laughs> the whole football team is like, "Oh, I'll do I'll do bowling." There, I actually didn't have a single other athlete in my class it was just a bunch of us boring normal people oh interesting and uh, i got paired up with this uh lovely polynesian lady and we had a great time the entire semester well cool so uh it was fine we had fun but something that i found really really interesting okay i'm gonna share today all right okay yeah let's hear it. so i'm gonna get into the history of bowling oh wow fascinating buckle your seatbelts, everybody <laughs> here we go are you ready oh okay yeah. so nobody knows for sure where it started this trend this tradition of setting up pins Knocking them down with a ball. It's a it's a very short history. Right. <laughs> no one knows. Au contraire. Oh. It turns out that bowling has been traced uh, to an ancient Egyptian child in 5200 BC. He was buried with this toy of a few sticks and a ball. With a ball, right? Probably used to knock down the pins. Okay. Uh, there is, uh, there are hieroglyphics of Egyptians throwing a ball through an archway to knock down pins, mm. kind of like uh, croquet. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, there was a, also a, an ancient Polynesian game called Ula Maika. Ula Maika. Uh, it used uh, pins and balls of stone, and the stones were rolled at the targets sixty feet away, which. Ironically, is still the distance we use today at bowling alleys. Hmm. But that's not where the Western bowling came from. No? No! <laughs> it was not from a random Polynesian <laughs> island or the ancient Egyptians. It actually comes from an ancient uh, Middle Age German tradition. It was a religious tradition. Wow. Where people in these villages would carry around these sticks that would remind them of their sins. Okay? Okay. 
And the priests, every once in a while, would be walking around, and they would set up their pins, and if the priest knocked down your pin with his ball, <laughs> you were absolved of your oh. sins. I, I feel like they should bring that back. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. So that was for, during the 3rd and 4th century. These German peasants would carry around these wooden clubs, and that's what they were for. And so this German tradition of setting up pins and knocking the, and the priest knocking them down with the balls got more and more popular over time until they started setting on the num uh, setting up nine pins at a time and the priest would try to knock them all down at once to absolve as many sins as they can. Well, this continued until Martin Luther, who uh, got rid of it as a religious practice, but built an alley next to his house for his kids to play in as just a game. Mm. And then it became more and more popular in other German towns, and that's how we got it today. Mm. So it came from this weird religious ritual of absolving sins. Interesting. So Martin Luther, not only a reformer, but uh, a religious reformer, but he's also the, the father the, of bowling. The father of bowling! And... <laughs> I feel like he made a misstep, though. If oh, he, if what's he, that? If he kept bowling as a religious practice, maybe more people would be going to church right now. <laughs> That's true. I, Imagine if I all feel the- like our church could incorporate some bowling. <laughs> yeah, our church, you have to actually, like, stop doing bad stuff, right? It's way cooler if you just had the bishop knock down some pins. I, That'd be crazy. Yeah, that would... But yeah, so it turned. It went from this religious practice to this fun German game, and mm. then they went eventually from nine pins to ten, and here we are, mm. right? Mm. So, do you like bowling? Uh, I took a bowling class in high school, and we high we, school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Where did you go to bowl? Um, local bowling alley. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, and uh, I I like it. It's fine. Uh, I can only bowl seriously like one game. Yeah. By second game, it's like chaos. No one's really interested. Half you know, half the people have lost interest, and and then you're just almost bowling to get the game over. Right. You know what I mean. And if you're bowling with kids, and then it's impossible. That's what I mean. And yeah. That's typically my situation. Or if you're on a group date or something, you doing it for one game is great. But then by the second game, you're like, we're more interested in talking or hanging out or doing something else. So what so, is your opinion on bowling on a date? Because I, I see it, I've had it be successful, mm-hmm. but I've also had it be awful because you're in the middle of a conversation and they get up get to up go, go bowl. Yeah, it's probably not a great first date yeah. thing. Uh, but if you've been dating you know, a few weeks, a month, or a couple months, yeah, it's great. Fine. Yeah, I I wouldn't do it for a first date though. And you got to do double date, triple date. Yes. you got to be in a group. Oh, it can't yeah. be just you and no, them because then no. you're never no talk- buffer. <laughs> no buffer. You're, you're always never talking to each other. Yeah, exactly. So that, that way that yes, that way when somebody is sitting or, or someone is bowling, the other person is sitting with other people. There's conversation happening. Absolutely. And you also have to bring a ringer. A friend that you know is worse than you yeah, at bowling. Yeah. So you at, at least, least look, look, well, I'm better than that guy. So I have, <laughs> are you able to spin a ball really well? Not really. So uh, I bowl straight down the middle, yeah. typically. And I'm, I'm actually pretty good at bowling very straight. 
um, which produces a, a very consistent bowl of hitting nine pins down. Right. Which is crazy. But I I will go five um, brackets or whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. Frames. Frame, thank mm-hmm. you. With only with doing nine pins each one, wow. and you're and then at the end your score sucks, and right. you feel like you did really well. <laughs> but if you don't hit that tenth pin down, right. it doesn't carry over. You got to step two arrows to the right mm, and then yes, hit the pocket. Exactly, that's what you got to do. If exactly. you're a straight bowler, that's what you have to do. Uh, a guy in my neighborhood, he is serious about bowling. Is he good? He, yeah, and he does, does have his own ball. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, does competitions and things nice. like that. Uh, and totally not a guy that you would peg as being a bowler. I don't I mean, I don't know what that would be, I guess, but I think a lot of people think of like an overweight, you know. Yeah, like, John Goodman. Uh, yeah, <laughs> l- lonely guy. No, this guy is like physically fit, big, built, but huge bowler. And, awesome. Uh, and uh, we were doing a, a youth group one time and he, he went bowling with us. We took, uh, he took us bowling and it was crazy to see this guy bowl. And you know, he's, he's gotten three hundreds, uh, several times. It's the times. sound that I love when people that are actually good at bowling play the sound of the crash. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, he's getting strikes and spares every, every frame. Right. And it's, it's crazy. You're really like, fun. yeah. And you know, like other people, they take notice really quick. Like, oh, that guy's, that guy's good, you know, and people start watching. It's pretty interesting to, to, to see. So the question we ask with every non-traditional sport, I have to know before we move on, mm. are pro bowlers athletes? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Why not? Because if John Goodman... <laughs> can be a bowler right? mm-hmm. and obviously that's a movie but it's it's not far from reality right if that guy can bowl a 300 you're not an athlete any sport that you can do sitting in a lawn chair i say is not athletic by nature yes now, i'm sure there are people that do arm strength and wrist strength and all that stuff for bowling <laughs> But you could literally sit down in a chair and just kind of toss the well, ball. <laughs> bowling and golf are both sports where uh, people will uh, drink. Yes, while they heavily, <laughs> and still produce a similar score to when mm-hmm. they're sober. And if you can do that, I don't think you're a sport. You know, because you, may, I would like to see LeBron James like all liquored up and, and try play to play basketball. basketball. <laughs> that would be fun. Just breaking threes all over the place. Yeah. Or maybe he'd be really maybe good. Maybe he'd be really good. Who knows? Maybe he'd be really he'd be like good. like the drunken master. Yeah. It would, it would throw a whole our whole theory into to chaos. We'd be like, oh, I guess. Just athletes can do, can drink and do whatever. I do know, like in the '90s in the NFL, mm. a lot of like offensive and defensive linemen would show up to games high, drunk, and all that other stuff, and they would do fine, I guess. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Maybe. Anyway, bowling. Bowling. <laughs> Let's move on to your topic. All right. So, Will, uh, to follow up, bowling. I have a I have another really uh, really interesting sport to talk about. 
So I recently had a uh, YouTube black hole, mm. you know. You uh, fell into the, the hole. The whole yeah. uh, journey. And I started watching these bull riding videos. I know that's interesting, but sure enough. Uh, this and, and I started watching these documentaries on who is called the greatest bull rider of, of our generation. His name is J.B. Mooney. Uh, James Burton uh, Mooney, but he goes by J.B. Gotcha. So he is an uh, American professional rodeo cowboy who specializes in bull riding. Um, he's won two world championships in 2013 and 2015. Wow. Um, he... Uh, is he's considered the greatest bull rider of his generation. Uh, the PBR and fans consider Mooney a legend due to his records and accomplishments. In January 2018, he became the third bull rider to reach 500 rides on the Elite Series. Oh my gosh. If I rode a bull one time, I'd be in a You're wheelchair dead. forever. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um... Have you watched a bull, uh, a rodeo, a bull yeah. ride? So I somehow, some way, on a random Sunday, football was not on, mm -hmm. but they showed the PBR down in Vegas, okay. which is the World Championships, mm -hmm. and I watched for like two hours. Yeah, and I was like, these guys, it's like they're getting beat up. Yes, for ten seconds, it's insane by a two-ton animal. Yes, like, yes, oh, I. I cannot imagine how bad their necks hurt. That's the oh part that bothers me the most. It's one of those things. So to to have a successful ride, you ride eight seconds right. on a bull. And it's one of those things like it it sounds really easy, you know? And then you watch how quickly these guys get thrown off and stomped Just and how everything. Violent the bulls are. Very violent. Oh my gosh. And I I couldn't last two seconds, you know. Yeah, and then one handed too. So you you have one hand. Uh, you can rope in. You basically like tie your hand in, mm -hmm. um, and then your other hand can't touch the bull or anything else. Uh, that's uh, considered a, a bad ride, and you're you're done. Yeah, that rides disqualified or whatever, yeah. right? So Mooney is known for picking the rankest bull. Uh, when there's a draw, so the highest ranking bull, the 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 worst, you know, the toughest bull, he's picking that one, especially in the championship rounds of most events. He and three-time world champion bull Bushwhacker is the name of the bull, are known for being matched up 13 times. Mooney always picked Bushwhacker in the elite rounds. So, I was in this documentary I was watching. The first time he rides uh, Bushwhacker, he gets thrown in like two seconds. Super fast, just tossed. And he made it his mission, his goal, to every time this same bull was available uh, to ride, he picked him. Yeah. And typically, which makes sense, riders will pick easy bulls or bulls they think that they can have an advantage on or, or whatever not him he's going for the toughest the one that all that beat him last time and he wants to ride it again 13 times he got bucked off 
He went for it a 14th time. He wasn't going to quit. Finally beat it. I think I, I love that determination. I love that idea that I'm, he said that it probably cost him several championships. Wasn't going to stop him. He was picking the best. In fact, he said, if you're going to be the best, you've got to ride the best. And sure enough, people are calling this guy the best. Um, so you said you've been you've been to a few rodeos? Yeah, so this year for work, uh, we were the official sponsor of the Harriman Rodeo. Oh, okay, cool. And so our name was all over everything and our logos everywhere. And we were there. Give, I was there giving away a TV. Um, and I had water bottles. I was giving to everybody and talking to everybody. We had a good time, um, but that first day I was just there working the booth and I didn't really see much. Uh, I heard everybody screaming and everything behind me. But the second day I got free tickets and I actually took the kids because I thought it'd be fun. And it was fascinating. So I had never been to a rodeo before that. Mm. Um, and what was cool is on the big screen there at the rodeo, they actually explained what I'm supposed to be looking for. They explained the rules to me, what's a good ride, what's a bad ride. And this was just horses, so they mm -hmm. had Broncos and stuff. Sure. And I think with horses, you got to stand for 13 seconds, okay. I think. Um, but they explained all that and what to look for and everything, and it made the rodeo so much more enjoyable. Because if stuff was just happening, yeah, I wouldn't know, is wouldn't that know. good? Yeah. Is that bad? Right. That's how I feel about, I think we talked about this, watching ice skating or something. Uh -huh, sure. I'm like, is what, that good? What, yeah, what makes it good? <laughs> or like underwater uh, synchronized swimming. Mm -hmm. Stuff's happening. Yes. And then the announcers are like, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. Yeah. Like, was it? I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Right. Because <laughs> I don't know the rules. Sure. But the fact that they uh, taught everyone what to look for right before the event happened made it way more enjoyable. Yeah, and I don't think you have to be like you know, super smart to look at a bull ride and look at a guy being tossed around oh, and be like, sure. oh yeah, that's that's hard, that's difficult. Um, I was showing you a clip on this documentary and he, stand, he stands on a medicine ball in cowboy boots balancing for hours at a time. Yeah, there's just a medicine feet. ball and he's just standing on it. Yeah. And I was like, is he holding on to anything? And he's just straight up standing, standing on it. On. And he's balancing, and he's sweating, he's working hard, and he's talking about um, the effort that needs to go into um, balancing on a bull, because it's all about balance. You move your hand, when you get bucked one way, you move your hand back a certain way so that it throws off, yeah. or equalizes your balance, if you will. The way that he was talking about it, about his hip flexors and how his hips have to be super flexible and all mm -hmm. this stuff, it reminds me of listening to defensive backs in the NFL talk about uh, hip, hip flexibility and switch, hip switches and stuff, and hip flexors. Uh Athletes in the NFL have to have really, really, especially defensive backs, need to have really good hips because you have to switch quickly from one side to the other because you don't know which side the wide receiver is running. Mm -hmm. Are they going to run to your right? Then you need to turn your hips that way. Or they could cut in front of you at the last second, then you need to turn them the other way. It sounded just like that. Mm -hmm. And so he has to train his body, that core strength, in the same way. Mm-hmm. To ride these bulls. And I would have never thought about that. I yeah. thought it was something you strap in and hope for the best. Yeah. So I started watching like lots of different rides on YouTube. And I have to be honest. It's pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, 
I know it seems like a weird thing to 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 watch, and it and it is, but I found it really interesting. I've never been to a rodeo, but I I really want to go now, uh, and look forward to to going perhaps next year. Now, I will say the Harriman Rodeo was pretty fun, and they had so many food trucks. Mm. Oh my gosh! Oh, I bet. And they had this crazy cotton candy one that made like Disney's Frozen characters uh, out of cotton candy and stuff. It was crazy. Crazy. But I've heard that rodeos are really stepping up their uh, entertainment game. Mm. It's not just a sport anymore. It's okay. an event. Right, right. So uh, I had a good time. I That was my first one I've ever been to. I'd love to go back to a rodeo. Yeah. So if you guys want to go with us next year, we can do that. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. I think I just... I, I have a lot of appreciation for the best in a sport, mm-hmm. right? And watching what the best does and the attitude. It was the attitude. The attitude of, this is the toughest bull. I want that one. I feel like we don't see that a lot in sports. You know, I think a lot of athletes are looking for the easiest way to a championship. Right. Right? Um, in the NBA now, it's like demanding a trade and forcing yourself into this like super team. Yeah. And I feel like Kobe and Michael Jordan, these were guys that were like, no, I'm going to win on this team. And, right. and, and I'm building the I'm team building, to win. Correct. Right. Right. There, there are fewer and fewer athletes like that. Michael Jordan was definitely one. Kobe was definitely one. Tom Brady, I would consider to be one of those guys. Year after year after year, he would take pay cuts. Mm-hmm. He did not get paid what he was worth. Right. He was worth to make a bajillion dollars. Right. Um, but he would take pay cuts so they could keep building the team around him. Mm-hmm. He was that competitive. He just wanted to win. And in fact, that last year with the Patriots, when they wouldn't pay him, he said, fine, I'm going to go somewhere else and prove to you that I can win a Super Bowl. And he went to a team that was terrible the year before and won a freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> and that was out of sheer willpower. Yep. Tom Brady is that kind of guy. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you don't see that very much anymore. Hey, it's a shame. I thought it was really impressive. Uh, you guys will have to go look it on you up on YouTube. Check him out. Watch, watch some of his videos. Let me know what you think. Um, so following the tradition of, of our last segment... Bull riders, athletes or not? I say yes. I say yes yeah. as well. Yeah, I think bull riders are athletes. Yeah. The way you have to train your body and the hand-eye coordination and the balance. The balance, right? Uh, by itself. The strength, right? Mm-hmm. I think they are athletes. I think so as well. Yeah. I agree. But not bowlers. <laughs> or NASCAR drivers. <laughs> or NASCAR drivers. Or IndyCar drivers. <laughs> With that, Will, let's go on to screens. Screens. All right, Trevor, I'm going to pick on James Cameron again today. Okay. (laughs) So He deserves it. He does. He's a millionaire. He doesn't care what I think. Um, I read an article the other day about something he said about 3D TV. Okay. And it it took me back. Okay. So I'm going to read his thoughts about 3D TV and why it didn't work. All right. If you remember, there was uh, LG and Sony were like making these 3D TVs. Of course, right? Yeah, and you see them in Costco or Best right. Buy, and you go and they have you could sample them out and 
And, and they had the glasses you had to charge, remember? Uh, did they? Were, yeah. were all of them charged? The first, these first generation, when they were really pushing them, okay. you had to actually charge the glasses. Oh, interesting. And how they that. would work is you'd turn them on, and it actually, like in microseconds, flash on and on. And this method of like flickering lights pulls a picture out of the screen. It's really mm, weird. Okay. But you don't perceive it because it's happening so fast. Okay. Anyway, that's the 3D TVs we're talking about. Okay. Um, and this is what James Cameron had to, said, had to say about it. Uh, I think the jury's out on whether or not 3D TVs could work again. I know why uh, all that failed because... What they did was jumped into 3D trying to cash cash in on the boom at the theaters and to try to treat it as a feature. Mm. So they did 3D, but they did it with glasses that needed to be recharged and all that. Whereas just over the horizon was glasses-free, large, flat-screen TVs, which actually look pretty good. If you've ever had like a Nintendo 3DS or something like that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that uses this... Uh, stereotropic 3D thing where you don't need glasses for it. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's talking about. Okay. Is 3Ds were coming out the next generation that you wouldn't need glasses for. Oh, okay. Right? And it would still be in 3D. Uh, he continues. He says, uh, one of the most popular 3D releases, uh, Avatar, almost single-handedly ushered in the return of 3D to theaters across the globe. It was also one of the more popular titles for home 3D as well, because it actually did 3D well. Yeah, obviously. Um, But uh, as James Cameron said, most uh, 3D TVs use this active shutter system requiring the pair of glasses that you had to recharge. People didn't want to get off the couch and recharge the glasses all the time, Mm -hmm. and then they all failed. Okay. Um, in this next generation of uh, auto stereoscopic 3D. Okay, that's a mouthful. Yeah, it never came out. Okay, this technology because people weren't investing in 3D TVs. Gotcha. I was gonna say I have never seen that on a large big screen TV. Right. I you you mentioned like the 3DS Nintendo 3, but that's a small. Yep, that's handheld. a pretty small screen. So there was going to be big, big screens where it was literally popping off the screen at you without needing glasses. Mm. But they, but those screens were never actually developed. Correct. Because the funding the wasn't put into it. Right. Because people started losing interest in 3D. The technology existed. Like it was at uh, GEC or whatever in Vegas mm. showing off future technology okay but it was never mass produced because people weren't interested it seemed in 3d tv anyway gotcha so this is how he closes he says the imperative to manufacture glasses free tvs and the additional costs required go out of step with the market demand Mm -hmm. which was also taking a nosedive because people experience 3d in a movie theater very differently than they do at home they don't want anything that distracts them from multitasking and or socializing with other people who are in the room with them, and so on. Right, so like wearing the glasses. Right. So that's his opinion on why 3D TV didn't work. What do you think about that? Do you think he's on to something? Do you think that if it was better, that it could come back? Or do you think that this is a gimmick that only works in the theater? Is he right that it 
you, it just won't work at home because usually you're watching with friends that you want to talk to. Um, well, and he's even saying that, I think he's even saying that the theatrical experience wasn't successful because people wanted to multitask even... Well, he's saying when you watch a 3D movie at home, mm. usually people are also folding laundry or oh. uh, talking to their spouse or snuggling in a blanket with kids oh, or gotcha, whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's hard to do with those glasses on. Mm. So if it were glasses free, then it would have been acceptable and mm. it would have been successful. Okay. That's what he's trying to say. All right. I saw his other quote and I thought he was referring to even at, at the movie theater. So. Um, no, I mean, I'll say a half right, half true. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that the technology not being up to standards played an impact on, uh, 3D not being appealing. Right. But it's not even, I mean, but he's talking that it's not appealing in the home, uh, experience but it's not even appealing in the theater experience i agree a hundred percent keep going and we still have to wear glasses even at the movie theater expense Mm -hmm. so if you're wearing them in the theater experience and expense experience excuse me if you're doing it there then i mean that's the problem because we've talked about it because it gives us a headache you know like the glasses suck or you get sweaty and they're sliding off your face, or they're just not great glasses because they're meant to be cheap or disposable or you know or whatever. If you could have 3D without glasses and it was good quality, mm-hmm. I think that would be interesting to people. I don't. I don't think it would be so appealing that you would want it all the time. It would be a very selective thing. Right. But let's take like Stranger Things, for example. Would you watch that series? Would you, if you had a choice to turn on 3D or watch it 2D, no glasses, would you want to watch it in 3D? It depends on how it's done. If it's done well. Yeah. If it's done as amazing as it possibly can. I'd be indifferent. If it was like blow your mind kind of 3D. Then I guess I'd want to experience that. Sure. Would you want it all the time? Would you want it for like no. a Stranger Things? Like if I'm if I'm when if I, when, when uh, what's his what's the guy who's playing the guitar? Oh Eddie. yeah, Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. When he's like up on the bus and he's playing. Uh, puppet master, master and the of puppets, master of puppets. Yeah. Excuse me, and the and the bats are coming out of at like coming out of the screen. Or when the cool? redhead girl is running to the running up that hill song. Or yeah. when uh, Eleven is sticking her hand out, screaming. Ah, that that happens. Yeah, every that'd be cool. Season. You know what I mean? But nobody said when Avatar came out. Mm-hmm. Nobody said. Terrible movie, awful story, but you should go see it just for the 3D. I felt like people did say that. <laughs> people That's said exactly my experience. Not, that is your experience. People saw it because, yeah, it had cool 3D, but it was also a good movie. No, it Subjectively. Wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. I like We've this talked about movie. this. It's, 
not a good. A movie. lot of people. Have like you watched it again? I'm going on Friday. To watch Avatar, yeah. the first one, yeah. again, yeah. in 3D? I'm taking my son. In 3D. No, I picked 2D because the 3D gives me headaches. Okay, I want a report back. Okay. Have you seen it since the theaters? I have a couple times, yeah. Willingly? Yeah, I oh like my. this movie. It's not good. It doesn't break new ground or it's anything. It's got Sam Worthington it as does the have, main character. It's true. He's, he's not a good actor. He's coming back for the second one, man. I know. Um, They're going to CGI the crap out of him. All right. Anyway, I think 3D will always just be a novelty and a gimmick. The, yeah. the success of 3D did not hinge on the technology per se. It hinges on the content. Avatar, as far as I'm concerned, is the only movie that did 3D correctly. Every other 3D movie that came out after that, if you'll remember had just 3D thrown on top of it afterwards in, like, post, and it was awful. It gave you terrible motion sickness. Mm-hmm. And people would throw up in theaters. I know there stuff. was the Spy, Spy Kids 3D. That's true. Or 4D or That's whatever That's because it was, it was filmed in 3D. Yeah. Like, there's a difference, right? Yeah. So, the, the problem is, yes, putting on the glasses and all that's prohibitive, but most 3D content... Was awful no, outside of Avatar. Yeah. So so why buy a TV to watch terrible stuff? No. I mostly agree with you. I, I think if it was like blow your mind amazing 3D. You, I think like um, almost like the hologram uh, uh, Back to the Future 2. When uh, he goes out and it's uh, Jaws. Oh yeah. The hologram. And it comes... Something like that where it's really out of the screen. The only 3D I've ever been like, that was incredible, was the Terminator ride in Universal Studios. So I was going to (laughs) say, well, the Terminator ride was more of like a show, too. Yeah, it it had had live action. Live action. I was was actually going to mention that. When you go to these these, uh, amusement parks... Uh, California Adventure has them, and and Disney used to have them. These 3D or 4D movies, they spray water. On yeah, you they stuff. put water, blow yeah. air on you. By the time, I mean these movie things are like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. If that, by the time they're done, you're done with the 3D gimmick. And I was the first time I saw Avatar, I was so done wearing the glasses. It's because, and it is because of the glasses. Yeah. I wonder if you, it would be as unenjoyable if you didn't have to wear the glasses but having 3d still without the glasses yeah yeah yeah. so if it does work like those old nintendo 3ds's the 3d only works if you're looking at it at a very specific angle if you turn it at all right it breaks the 3d mm, and so you'd have to be sitting at that tv straight, straight on. on i don't know what kind of technology they could come up with but james cameron you're half right. You're right that people don't want to wear the glasses and all that stuff. But that's not why people didn't want 3D TVs. They didn't mm-hmm. want it because there was nothing to watch on it other yes. than Avatar. Yeah, there's nothing good. Everything else was terrible. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to watch sports in 3D or anything like that. I hated when movies or yeah, movies would put in like blatant gimmicks for 3D. Yes. You know, like the... Water squirting out. The hand coming out. Whoa. And 
And if you watch that same movie in 2D, you're like, why is he sticking his hand <laughs> at the camera like that? So and you're like, oh yeah, this was done for like 3D. That was meant but to yeah, be like a, the a same, gimmick. The same reason 3D died in movie theaters is the same reason 3D TV died. Nobody wants to watch it. Indeed. <laughs> well, let's move on to your topic. So as I mentioned, uh, this one comes from Jeremy. Uh, he says, recently you did a screens topic that uh, about movies that never should have been made. What about actors that should never have been cast? Or even actors, actresses that could have been replaced with other ones? So, for example, i.e. Doug Ray Scott uh, tried out for Wolverine. He was good in Ever After... Uh, but now the whole world just equates Hugh Jackman in the role. I don't know if you know Doug Ray, Doug Ray Scott. He's uh, he was the love interest in Ever After, right? Yeah, he's, and he's like a bad guy in every other movie. Yeah, uh, he, he's quite a bit older now, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so is Hugh Jackman. Yeah, so is Hugh Jackman. <laughs> but Hugh Jackman looks fantastic. Could he, still he pull does Wolverine. look great. <laughs> You could have replaced um, either one of the leads in Titanic, and it would have been the same movie. Which is, I, I, I think most people probably agree. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't like the role that he, even if his acting job was fine, it wasn't so. The movie was probably more iconic than the role, right? right. Than the, the acting job. Um, yeah, it almost so, seemed Shakespearean, almost, and mm. how. It was set up and how they mm. talked to each other. Right. You could have gotten any two, any two theater troupe people and it would probably and be fine. Exactly. It would have been the, basically the same movie. Yeah. So, looking at that. So, what are some movies that you think had some just terrible casting and you would love to replace them? Yeah. You'll do your list first okay. and then I'll do mine. But this first one, we both have an opinion. We did, yeah. yeah. And that was uh, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Uh, terrible casting. I know what they were going for. They were trying to go for like the social media, yeah, tech, tech CEO, yeah. young guy, mm-hmm. eccentric, whatever. Right. right. And he just came off of uh, the social, social network. Yes. And so yeah. he's kind of in that vein mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, what if he was like a tech mogul, mm-hmm. right? And it just he just came off as weird. Well, he came off as Jesse Eisenberg. Right? <laughs> he, it, it felt like he was trying too hard to be Joker, almost. With yeah, like his yeah. weird lip stuff. Right. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, it was it was so off-putting. Be, be quirky and, yes. And Lex Luthor's supposed to be very charismatic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be this head of this corporation and the face of it, and everybody knows who he is, and he has this secret life as a villain. He's not supposed to be a weirdo in public, too. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be a very well-kept, uh, very PR-friendly person. Right. Very charismatic. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Eisenberg is not that. Yeah. Uh, I I put Ben Kingsley... He's, he's That's a, little, a great choice. He he's a little older, obviously, and I know that they were wanting to go young, but I feel like I feel like they went too young, and I think there's something interesting about Lex Luthor not necessarily being physically imposing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Letting his money fight for him. Yes. 
For Harry in Utah, a severe thunderstorm watches in effect until Wednesday, September 20th. Fine, Alexa. Yeah, I'll have to edit that out. Um, so, the next one is Ben Affleck. Uh, so, Ben Affleck was, uh, he was good. He was fine. Right. I, I felt like... I felt like he wasn't the worst part of those movies, and so... He played a great, drunk, depressed, <laughs> rich person. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Almost like he has experience with that. It's like he wasn't even acting. Yes. He was so good. So, but I feel like Ben Affleck was probably still miscast in that. Okay. I don't... Like I said, I don't feel like he was bad. But I feel like they could have replaced him with John Hamm. And John Hamm... As an older Bruce Wayne, would have been a really good Bruce Wayne. And he's physically... He's he could, big. He could definitely Play put on the build. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes. And I've never seen him in an action role, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And he... Uh, I don't he's know. a great actor. I And he, like you said, physically imposing. But I feel like he would make a really good, like, older... Um, yeah, and he has a voice that you really—it's really easy to listen to. He does the—he's the voiceover on a documentary I watch on Amazon about uh, they follow an NFL team for a year. I mean, he was in Tag. You know, that's is a- that an action movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, when I think of him, I think of—he's in Top Gun Maverick. Yes, I think of Mad Men. And I also think of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. He's actually a very good comedic actor, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think of him as an action guy. But so That's interesting. I wonder well, if he could pull it off. Yeah, I think of like, um, you know, uh, who's uh, Jim from uh, The Office? Oh, John Krasinski. Yeah, John Krasinski. He wasn't an action guy until he became an action guy. Now that's yeah, like until he what? did Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan, and mm-hmm. now uh, now he's Mister Fantastic. Now he's Mister Fantastic. Yeah, so it, it it could be done. Anyway, I, I just feel like he would make a really good like older, sophisticated Bruce Wayne kind of at the end of his yeah, career. Yeah, and he just and he'd pull off the Bruce Wayne part of it really well too. Now this next one might seem just. Crazy, but hear me out. Mike Myers for Shrek should have been Chris Farley, and actually, it was intended to be Chris. I Farley. can't think of Shrek being anyone other than Mike Myers. Well, I can't believe you'd say this. I know, I know. But when you when you realize that Shrek was actually modeled after Chris Farley, that makes sense. <laughs> and you can actually look Did it up. Did he pass on... away before they started recording? Mm-hmm. Is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. If you go on to YouTube, you can actually watch or listen to uh, the some test footage of Chris Farley reading some lines for Shrek to get it pitched and he probably would have killed it, huh? Yes. Yeah. It it was like now he passed away, so it wasn't anything that. You know, could have been done there. But could you imagine, like, if Chris Farley was that, it would have been so much more iconic, so right. much so much better. And so, But I just can't... And this is because I'm so used to it. Sure. But the Scottish mm-hmm. accent, right? Mm-hmm. The Mike Myers thing. Mm-hmm. I just can't think of it any other way. Yes. But now that you say that, I'm imagining Chris Farley reading those lines. It would have been... 
it would have sounded a lot different, mm-hmm. but I think it would have killed it. Yeah, You're right. It would have been yeah. interesting. Uh, my last one, Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Now, now you're speaking blasphemy. <laughs> well, <laughs> this movie is sacred in my house. Is it? Yes. Well, what's funny is people consider his uh, portrayal of Robin Hood one of the worst because... Oh, no, it is. It is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't have an English accent. He does for like 10 seconds and then loses it. <laughs> Apparently, looking into it, there was this whole thing about his uh, dialect coach not not being able to get him to do it, mm-hmm. and so the director fired him. And Kevin Costner and the director had fought on set, and like anyway. But I feel like Mel Gibson would have been a better for the time period. Really, nineteen ninety one. Think of the time period. So that's right. A before little bit before Braveheart. Braveheart. He he was able to do a. a he was a, a great William Wallace. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He was able to do a good uh, Scottish yeah. accent. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah. So my my vote was for Mel Gibson to replace Kevin Costner. If you're trying to that's come up with fine. like a big movie star at now that the, time, the movie's not good, right? And Kevin no. Costner's terrible in it. But my mom and I. This was my I'm sick, stay home from school movie. Okay. My mom and I would uh, drink like hot chocolate or whatever mm-hmm. uh, and watch, and this, watch movie? this movie. Oh, interesting. So I love this movie okay. because I can't watch it without thinking of just snuggling up on the couch with my mom. So I, I will love that movie forever, <laughs> but you're right. Kevin Costner did not do great. So what about you? What are, what are some of your picks? Okay, so I'll start with Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor as well. But I wanted to replace him with Mark Strong. That's a very good choice as well. So we're just picking bald people. Yeah, bald people that are also <laughs> villains right? and a lot of stuff. Yeah. But Mark Strong also is very charismatic. If you think of him as... Uh, uh, the bad guy in the Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. uh, the Robert Downey Jr. one. Yep. He did great in that. He was the bad guy in Shazam. Right. He really commands a room. So yeah. it's believable that he'd be this important, Im- powerful figure. Him imposing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that he can turn from being very charismatic to being very evil, yeah. right? It's a very Sinister. believable turn yeah. for him. Yeah. So any. Lots of people other than Jesse Eisenberg, right? Yeah. Uh, a big one that my wife and I talk about is Woody Harrelson is Haymitch in The Hunger Games. Okay. Okay. So, not a not great casting. No. In the books, so we both really liked the books, my wife and mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. And he is supposed to be this drunkard, which Woody Harrelson does. But he's also injured. He has a limp, right? He's very rude and off-putting. Um... And he hates who he is, right? And who better to play that than Hugh Lowry, the guy that plays House? Yeah, basically House. It basically is House, yeah. right? That is a good one. That would be It good. should have been Hugh Lowry, mm. right? It was basically the same character. And he nailed it with House. Who would have nailed it with Haymitch? Yeah. Uh, Kristen Stewart in Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will admit that I kind of liked the first half of this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going places. Mm-hmm. And that's the half of the movie where Kristen Stewart is asleep oh, in it. Okay. The second she woke up, I hated the movie. Okay. <laughs> so I want to Fair. replace Kristen Stewart with literally anyone else. Yeah. 
I thought the movie was going places, and I liked it until she showed up. I yeah. just hate. She does Kristen have Stewart. that effect on movies. Oh yes. my gosh, uh, Russell Crowe in Les Mis, absolutely. Just replace him with someone that can sing. Yeah, he is so robotic when he sings. Yeah, and he's so on pitch that it's almost like you can tell he's just trying to make sure he hits the right notes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And he's so on the beat. There's no jazz in it at all. Mm-hmm. That. It comes off as very robotic and unnatural. Mm-hmm. Just get someone that can sing. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people that have played Javert before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh, and the last one, and this is one I feel really strongly about, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in Uncharted. Not good. So I don't mind... I didn't mind Mark Wahlberg, but not for that role. It wasn't... Yeah. If any of... If Mark Wahlberg, if anything, should have been... Nathan Drake. Nathan Drake. Yeah, yeah, Nathan Drake's not that young. Mm-hmm. He, Tom Holland still looks like he's 12. Uh-huh. Even though I realize he's in his 20s, yeah. right? He just has a boyish face. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever played the games, it looks like Nathan Fillion. Basically a skinny mm-hmm. Nathan Fillion. Yep. That's what he looks like. Right. So you need someone that's a little more grown up to play Nathan Drake. And then for Sully, you need someone a little older than that. He's... Typically gray haired and he's got this mustache and all that stuff, right? I would pick Chris Pratt. Okay. Because there's that comedic yeah. element, right? Mm-hmm. To yeah. Nathan Drake. Absolutely. He would kill that and then J.K. Simmons as Sully. Oh, that would have been good. He's surly, right? He's got the mustache. He's got he's he does great with facial hair. Yes. Right? And mm-hmm. then having him turn at the end, right? Or being only out for himself, mm-hmm. trying to con each other. He would have he would have done great with that. Yes. So that would have been way better. Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons. That's a good one. Yeah. Those are some good picks. Well, anyway, uh, thanks, Jeremy, for writing in and sending us that topic. And, Will, let's move on to something else. Something else. Huh? All right, Trevor. So, I am going... This is going to be uh, Will's advice corner hey, for a minute. let's hear it. Okay? So, this is coming from my world, the financial world. You are the financial expert on this show. <laughs> on this podcast. On this podcast. That's right. You, yes. I bring the knowledge. You are the subject matter expert. So, rates just went up again today. Ooh. Um, they went up another three quarters of a percent. Okay. Which means Prime is sitting at 6.25%, which means I'm trying to sell loans at 7.25%, which is way high. Yeah. Right? And so a lot of people are going out buying cars right now, and interest rates are in the fives, right? Mm-hmm. If you are going to buy a car, there are lots of ways you can make sure you're not making the wrong choice. And so I want to go over some tips for car buying that most people don't know. Yeah, this is great. Um, just from years and years of helping people with auto loans... Also, I spent three years going and talking to dealerships directly, Mm -hmm. trying to get them to send us loans, and seeing all of the stuff that they do on the financing side that make me want to throw up. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So here's some things that you can do to make sure that you understand, if you're getting a car loan, what that financing actually means, what factors go into it, and how to avoid not getting into a loan you don't want to be in. Oh, that's great. Okay. So first, you need to understand that every loan, every consumer loan, is based on three things. Debt to income ratio. Okay. So how much you make versus how much you owe. Right. Your credit history 
and the loan to value of the thing you're borrowing money for. Okay. So on a car, uh, if you have excellent credit, most places will allow you to go to 125% loan to value. Meaning if your car is worth $10,000, you can borrow 12500 Okay? Okay. And that will take care of the licensing fees and yada, 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 yada. Gotcha. Right? So those are the things that a financial institution is looking for in getting you a loan. If you've ever been frustrated because your financial institution somehow denies your loan, even though you have good credit, it may be because of the LTV. There are car dealerships that won't even start the financing process until you're at 150% loan to value, Trevor. Meaning by mm. the time you're actually ready to start signing loan papers, you are more than 50% over what that car is worth. Just with all these extra add-ons and everything else that a dealership is throwing on there. Wow. Right. There's a lot of people that get in trouble if they don't send it to the back, the finance guys, mm -hmm. already at 135% before the add-ons. Really? So, yes. It's wow. insane what some of these guys do. It, and that's the dealership just throwing on add-ons and things like that. Like that's uh, the, uh, gap insurance and blah, blah, blah. So that's what the finance guys do. Yeah. The front guys, mm. right, sometimes they'll uh, say we can do... Um, maintenance packages and all this stuff and everything else, right? Mm. And try to jack up that price or add options on. Do you want the bigger wheels and blah, 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 right? Mm. Try to get a spoiler on your fit, gotcha, right? Gotcha, uh, Snow plow package on your van, okay. you know, whatever. They're trying to jack up that price before it even gets to the finance guys where they add gap and uh, dent protection and alien abduction protection right. and everything else, yeah. right? It's crazy. So a good way to avoid a lot of that is to get pre-approved before you go shopping. Okay. okay? If you get pre-approved at your financial institution, that makes sure that you actually know how much you can afford. Okay. okay? Makes sense. The, based on the total amount of what you're buying. A trick that a lot of dealerships use is they sell you a car on payment. They don't talk about the actual amount you're financing. Right. They say, oh, you how much can you afford a month? month? Yep. That's what they sell you on. Mm -hmm. yep. And they do that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Right? Because if I can afford a $200 car payment, right? Mm -hmm. That can be this cheap car for 60 months. Yeah. Or this giant truck for 96 months. Yes, right? Exactly. And so they'll sell you on payment to make sure that it stays within that budget that you told them, mm. but they can start jacking up prices all over as mm. long as they keep extending that loan. Right. Okay? So if you get pre-approved, you know, I, could, I only want the loan for five years. Right. And that means I can only borrow $20,000. Gotcha. Okay? Whereas if you do it the other way, if you start the financing process at the dealership, you won't know how much that total amount is until the end. Mm. You'll just know the payment up front. Right? Yeah. And that's crazy. You that don't want to do that. No, that's not smart. Another thing you need to ask for, okay, is the NADA. You've all heard the commercials, ask for the Carfax and all mm. that stuff. 
More important than the Carfax is the NADA. Okay. It actually lists what this car is worth and all of the options they've selected. There's a process that some dealers do that is illegal, but I've seen it many times, called power booking. Okay. You ever heard of this no, before? No, I haven't. Tell us. So this is where, uh, let's say that you buy the basic model of a Civic, right? Okay. An ES. Okay. They check the EXL option on their sheet, which is $8,000 more than the base model that you bought. Hmm. But they don't tell you that. Okay. So they are jacking up the price of this car artificially. And then they say, yep, it has the 12-inch wheels, even though it doesn't. It hmm. has... Uh, but, Will, that's dishonest. It is dishonest. They wouldn't do that. Oh, my goodness. There are certain dealerships that I won't name because I don't want anybody to sue this podcast. But I'll tell you just, off air. Just do it. <laughs> I'll tell you off air. Uh, it, it, I had to go down to a dealership and show them two loans they sent us that week and say, I want you to show me this minivan that has satellite technology, GPS location, a a winch in the back, and a snowplow package in the front. The minivan. I want you to show me that. Because that's what you sent to us. They just went through and literally checked every single option possible. Really? Yes. And jacked up the price by $12,000. Wow. And they said... Sketchy. Well, we may have made a mistake. Maybe... Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's not us back here. Yeah, and we're yeah, like, yeah. uh huh. Stop it. Yeah. Now look at this. You said that this truck that you're selling this guy has both a fiberglass cap, which is those things that go over the truck bed, sure. right? The fiberglass ones, mm-hmm. and a roll bar. You can't have both because the roll bar would stick out of the fiberglass cap. Okay. You can't have both. And then they're just staring at me like, what are you saying? I'm like, you're lying to me. That's what I'm saying, uh-huh. right? And this happens all the time. Okay. These guys are just checking all these boxes, and then they print you out a summary, which only shows the price. And say, hey, look, this car is worth $38,000, but I'm going to get it to you today for $35,000. Oh, is that okay? Nice guy. And you feel like you're getting a deal. Yeah. Actually, that car is worth... 28000 But they've selected all of these options on the NADA to jack up the price. Hmm. It's bad. Ooh, that is helpful information. <laughs> I did not know about that. Yeah. The last thing you should do is make sure you take your car to an independent mechanic if you're test driving it. Never trust the guys at the dealership because they are paid the same way that the guy, sales guys are paid. When a car sells, they do better. The mechanic guys. Mm-hmm. Sure. So they're incentivized to sell these cars. Well, if you're buying a new car, a new car is under warranty. That new car should is not be okay. Have, not going to have the... You're talking about like a, a used, used car. car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most people can only afford used right now. A new car these days is like... Like a brand new Civic is like $32,000. That's insane. Because of the product shortage. Yeah. All the parts. Plus the interest rates now. Yeah. And the semiconductors. And if China takes over Taiwan, we won't have semiconductors anymore, and then they won't be able to make cars. Oh. Isn't that bad? For next time. <laughs> That's for next time. But yeah, those are things 
Get pre-approved before you go so you actually know how much you're borrowing. If you try to go to the dealership first, they're gonna sell you on payment. Always beware. And if they say stuff like, I can keep you at the same payment, but get you all these extras, know that they just extended the term on you, which also increases the interest on that loan. Yeah, and don't get any of the insurance or markup or like you can buy all of that stuff from the, from the, the credit, credit union. union, much cheaper, way cheaper, yeah. hundreds of dollars cheaper. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the gap insurance. I I made that mistake years ago, not knowing, and it was like a thousand bucks at the yeah. dealership. We sell it and for then, $195. Yes. And I went and was like, oh, really? Oh, okay. And then <laughs> canceled. I was able to get my money back. Yeah, your course, credit but... union will sell you a warranty on the car. They'll sell you everything, all the protections. Yeah. Don't buy it from the dealer. But yeah, uh, just make sure you're aware of all that stuff. Watch out for power booking. And you should make a better decision at a dealer. Thanks, Will. No that problem. Very helpful information. I hope I helped somebody. Hey, that was good. <laughs> helped me. Well, let's let's talk about your thing. So, Will, I wanted to talk about the importance of anticipation. What is anticipation? Uh, one definition, uh, looking at it, says the feeling of excitement about something that is going to happen in the near future. Now, like you reading what? The rest of this is. Yes. I'm anticipating. So anticipation can be a negative thing. You can negatively anticipate something, uh, worry and pending doom, that kind of stuff. But we're going to be focusing on positive and uh, exciting things. So one of the major drawbacks to the pandemic was not that it simply robbed us of many experiential events and purchases, like concerts, uh, vacations, things like that, right? We couldn't, we couldn't book those things. Uh, couldn't book a cruise for a long time. So when the pandemic started, I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. We had a, a trip to Nashville that mm-hmm. was uh, scheduled, booked, paid for everything, and then a trip later in the year uh, going on a cruise. And we had to cancel both of those trips. Obviously, we weren't able to go on to them. And so we were going during that pandemic. You're going months and months and months without being able to go anywhere, really. Not knowing, you know, when the next... All of these, like, movie releases were getting pushed back. Just... We didn't have those experiences that we were able to look forward to. But I had a lot of anticipation, dang it. Yes. <laughs> Pent up anticipation. Yes. And is, so not only did it rob us of those uh, events, but that it also took away the anticipation for those events and purchases. So not just the events themselves, but the anticipation for those, knowing that they would be coming. One of the reasons we were not able to anticipate many events was because we had uncertainty. Right. And uncertainty is the time between anticipation and a future event. And if that time is too long, then it is not possible to anticipate because it requires prediction. And prediction requires predictability. Yes. Right. So Some kind of information. Yes. I remember that feeling of being locked up in my house. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and feeling like I don't know when we can plan on yes, doing anything. anything. Yes, we didn't we didn't know when it was going to end. And slowly as things started to come back, you were able to start to right. have those experiences again, but it was drawn out in a really long period of time. When do we go back to work? When do we when do we go back to church when we do all these things? Is the movie theater going to open the, back up? Yes, right? what movies are going to be released. Yeah. Like, it was... It, it really felt like you were stuck in time. Mm-hmm. That you were just floating until life started again. Exactly. It was really weird. It was really weird. It was such a dysphoric time to be alive. Mm-hmm. So, we could still anticipate a new and exciting purchase arriving on our doorsteps from Amazon during the pandemic. But vacations, family outings, concerts, sporting events, and major movie releases gave us uncertainty. So several studies have con- have all concluded that we derive much more happiness when we anticipate experiential pur- uh, purchases, and that waiting for an experience is much more exciting than pl- and pleasurable than what we derive from a material purchase. Oh. So so what that means is. Um, we do experience some boost, some excitement, some, we can call it happiness, from anticipating a uh, material purchase. You go out, buy a new car, you, you know that you're going to be buying it next week, or that uh, new 3D big screen TV, right? I'm first in line, baby. Yes. <laughs> so, you know it's going to come. It, you, you ordered it a, a week ago. You know, you're waiting for it. There's some anticipation there that's ex- that does bring you some, you know, quote unquote happiness. But the amount that of happiness you get from that material purchase is much, much less than if you were looking forward to a concert that you would be going right. to or going on a trip with a family or some kind of even um, the excitement we get from, as I said, like a movie release. So, you and I were both really, really excited for uh, Black Widow to come out. And it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed for like a year. And then when it finally came out, we were so excited. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> dying at every ounce of news about that movie. But you have had you, but you but have had that experience oh, before yeah. where you look at movies, like a movie release, and you're like, oh, I can't wait for that movie to come out. You know, and there's just so much anticipation for it that those type of experiences are much more, uh, bring much more happiness and excitement to our lives than just a a monetary purchase. Right. Material purchase. Even things that I do buy materially, if it takes a while to ship, that's even almost more fun. Mm -hmm. I'm updating the UPS site like every. Where is it now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's in Tennessee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and waiting for it is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I open up the thing and after two days, it's whatever. But waiting for that event is really, really fun Yeah. That to get there. So additionally, research has shown that the enjoyment people glean from anticipation might also be an important component of life satisfaction. Oh. We feel really good when we say, think about the... Uh, about the enjoyment we're going to have compared to think about how much fun we had last time. So think about like, let's say Christmas, you will feel much more excitement anticipating 
a future Christmas, then you will fondly look back on the Christmas before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and as a parent, that makes a lot of sense because we're, I mean, we've we've experienced that that Christmas, but now I'm looking so much more forward to um, the experiences that we're having, the time that we get to spend together as a family. Our kids, they're excited about the material purchases, the material things that they're right. getting. But as adults, we're excited about the experience, you know, and that anticipation uh, is is much more enjoyable for us. Yeah, I imagine. So, if you're gonna buy like tickets to a theater show or something mm-hmm. like that, you gotta buy it months in advance, mm, right? Yeah, and you've got it marked on your calendar and. In, you're like, oh, next week we're going, and it's this whole buildup, and then mm-hmm. you go see the show, and when it's a great show, you're mm-hmm. like, it was all worth it. Oh, yeah. It adds to the experience. Yes. Whereas if I just showed up at a theater, and I was like, oh, Phantom of the Opera's playing today? I guess I'll buy a ticket. Yeah. And then go in. Yeah. It would not be as good. No. Part of the experience is getting excited to go. Yeah, you've attended the same show, but yeah, the the buildup for it, yeah. It's almost like you earn it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so lastly, um, the deficits of anticipation of future experience have been associated with extreme low levels of well-being, such as depression and anxiety. So, so during if, the if, pandemic, yes, everybody got depressed and exactly, anxious. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, for example, if you buy season passes to something like uh, you have Thanksgiving Point, Lagoon, Disneyland. It's important to actually schedule the times that you're going to go. Not just, uh, hey, I'm going to go whenever. I can drop in. But to actually put it on the calendar. Tell your kids, hey, next Friday, let's do this thing. Let's go to Lagoon. Let's yeah. go to um, Thanksgiving Point. M- my brother, he had um, Disneyland season passes uh, this this past year. And I... I I would have to ask him. I think most instances they scheduled it, but I I thought that was great. You know, that time that we're going to go in August, we're going to go this week. That gives their family something to look forward to, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than just the spontaneity of of going. That does bring a sense of adventure of the spontaneity, just going, doing. But it's much less satisfactory than the anticipation of, of, of the event. I was going to ask you, are there any future events that you're currently anticipating? So I'm excited to take Levi to the movie on Friday. Ooh. So it wouldn't matter what movie it is. I just picked Avatar because I thought he'd think it's cool. Okay. Um, but, but that's something that you're looking forward to. Yeah. I, I don't want my relationship with my son to just be uh, me yelling at him to do homework. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wise choice. Wise choice. So I want to start doing fun things with him once a month. Hmm. Whether it's just him and me, right? Uh-huh. And establish that relationship where he and I can just hang out. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Well, building off of this, it would it would make it would be wise to plan out those things in advance. Yeah. So I told him last week. So. I guess I get a, did a good job. I didn't yeah. know this information before. But yeah, I said, hey, two weeks from now, do you want to go with me, just me and you, and go see a movie? And we'll just hang out. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, what movie? And I said, Avatar. And he's like, 
Yeah, that'd does be he, awesome. Does he ask about it? Oh yeah, like every it? day. Every day. Yeah. yeah, and he's all excited to go. Uh, I'm excited to see Andor. I think that that has a potential to be a good show. Okay. We'll see. I okay. haven't seen anything good that Star Wars in a really long time. Yeah. Are there any vacations or anything that you're anticipating? My wife and I have decided we're going to go on a cruise. Oh. When? We haven't decided. Okay. But we are going to go. It's, they're cheap right now. Or, I Yeah. yeah. I, I want to buy some soon. Um, but we haven't gone on a date, just her and I, forever. Oh, really? And we we haven't had a vacation, just her and I. The entire time we've been married. Oh, wow. It's always been with some family members of some kind. Or, or with the kids or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to go on vacation with just my wife. Right. And a cruise is going to be it. That's We're going to go on a cruise. That's a great option. I've, that's the only trip that I've been on with my wife. Yeah. Uh, alone since, yeah. From the first few years we were married. So I talked to my cruise. folks. They're going to come out and stay at my house and watch my kids. Awesome. We're going to fly them out, and then she and I are going to fly somewhere and go on a cruise. Awesome. So I'm looking forward to that, too. That should be, that's a great thing to look forward to. Yeah. And that is, and when, in the pandemic, on, in 2020, when those trips were removed for us, it was debilitating because you didn't have those things to look forward to. I was looking forward to that Nashville trip yeah, for a long time. Yeah, it was time. so weird, and I felt like... It doesn't matter when I sleep. It doesn't matter when I'm awake. Like, it was so weird. I had crazy insomnia where I just couldn't sleep because it didn't seem to matter. Because mm-hmm. I could sleep at any time, I guess. Sure. Because we're never leaving anywhere. Mm-hmm. We're never going anywhere. Yeah. Every plan we had is canceled. So what are we even doing? The, it was such a weird time. Another way of framing this, and we're out of time, but another way of framing this is is really talking about hope. And that that hope mm. is a essential part of us as humans, and that we not just we don't just anticipate or hope for uh, experiences in terms of like vacations and things like that, but also within relationships we anticipate um, things that we will experience together. So retirement, mm. um, one day, one day, or <laughs> Um, maybe like, um, like traveling to retirement, senior mission, those kinds of things, things with, when the kids move out, you know, when, when our, when our old, when our youngest is no longer in diapers, you know, those kinds of things are also, um, uh, events and 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 things that we also anticipate that bring us happiness and excitement. So, would you say that hope springs eternal? Hope, Trevor, does spring eternal, and yeah, that's but all this, we can do is hope. This podcast, however, is not eternal. We're going to end it now. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, let us know about uh, some events that you're anticipating, and uh, also. Maybe what are some uh, roles that uh, you would have liked to have had uh, replaced? What what actors, actresses would you have liked to yank out there and replace them? Yeah. If you are anticipating a vacation of some kind, please tell me when you're leaving, mm-hmm. when you'll be back, what your address <laughs> is, and the code to your front door. There you go. <laughs> All right, Will. We'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Sports, Screens, and Something Else. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. Be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen. If you want to contact the show, you can send an email to sssheshow at gmail.com. And join us next time on Sports, Screens, and Something Else.